0: You are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause. Like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he me after Welcome show. to So tell me why you mad even. Anything is the Boston Celtics Podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined as always by the kid, the god, the legend. Coming to you live on the Athletic app on a Monday morning after the Celtics lose their first game of the playoffs, drop a, just a, they got beat up by the Milwaukee Bucks, 101-89, and the Celtics just didn't seem ready for the physicality of the Milwaukee Bucks, and that pretty much played exactly into the, the Bucks' game plan because the Celtics shot, I think it was fifty threes, and then made less than 10 or exactly 10 two point field goals. Uh, and it felt like the Bucks really just dictated everything that they wanted the Celtics to do on that end of the court. Jay, you were there. I was there too, but I was only up on the ninth floor. You were down, uh, With the rest of the regular media, what was your biggest kind of takeaway from the game one loss by the Celtics?
1: The the Bucs are going to make the Celtics, like to beat them, the Celtics are going to have to reach a totally different level than they played at in game one. And I don't just mean a level of basketball. It's just a level of thinking. You know, like it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be, okay, let's set a few screens and... Just pulverize Patty Mills, or let's get a a great matchup, and then Jason Tatum draws a double team, and oh, there's there's Grant Williams one pass away. <laughs> like the the Bucks are going to get into you, and I thought Budenholzer the 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 smartest thing he did probably was have his players pick up full court as often as they did. And I think, you know, one of the weaknesses of this Celtics group and and one of the things that we kind of harped on when, when they were bad earlier in the season is that they don't have a ton of ball handlers. They don't have a ton of guys who feel comfortable like running the show and and when when the bucks really got physical with them and picked them up full court and sped them up a little bit they just weren't very comfortable with it and i think you know dating back a long time like getting up into jason tatum being physical with jason tatum being aggressive with jason tatum has been one of the ways to to take him out of his comfort zone and he's gotten a lot better at handling that but I didn't think he handled it well in Game One. I didn't think anyone on the Celtics really handled it too well in Game One. That was they did, like you said, what the Bucks wanted. Um, there were like a couple of times when they got moving screen fouls in the back court because the the Bucks were were pressuring them. They were countless times when in the half court the Celtics were just kind of frantic with what they were doing they they were not making good decisions at all so they're just going to have to touch a, a totally different level to to beat the Bucks in in this series if they are going to beat the Bucks in this series
0: yeah the the turnovers for the Celtics were really costly the Bucks scored 27 points off of 18 Celtics turnovers. Jalen Brown, who just did not have a good game whatsoever, seven turnovers, but he's not the only one. thought Derek White checked in in his first stint. He had two kind of sloppy turnovers. As you mentioned, Jason Tatum uh, with a lot of turnovers. And the Bucks really punished them in transition, uh, whether it was Giannis, like immediately finding Bobby Portis in the corner for three, or uh, I thought – Grayson Allen knocked down some shots, Pat Connaughton, Uh, your man, you apparently you are the biggest fan of him uh in the world, Javon Carter. He was a uh, phenomenal he's on tough, defense. He? he was so tough on defense. Like he checked in and was like, oh, this should be a win for the Celtics. But like the Bucks bench, really Carter, I thought Grayson Allen to a, a lesser extent, but still uh Pat Connaughton. They did a really good job, just ball pressure. Like it's like classic Brad Stevens ism, but like getting into the ball, and it really I think disrupted the Celtics in terms of doing anything to get an easy easy look. Uh, now I think the Celtics they actually did a pretty decent job on uh, on defense themselves. I mean, they held the Bucks to forty five points in the second half, and I thought they did a good job of slowing down Giannis. I think in the first half they had a couple of times where they overhelped uh, where they had like uh, Grayson Allen was one pass away and they would help off Giannis or help onto Giannis and it was just easy threes for them. But I thought they limited that in the second half and did a pretty good job of slowing down. They created some turnovers themselves, uh, 14 for the Bucks, but the Celtics only scored six points on that. And that think brings to the next issue is just one, I think the Bucks were really, really solid in transition defense.
2: But my this, God, this,
0: they are large around the rim.
1: Yeah, they're huge. And and they're they're huge enough. Like you have to be smart when you attack. And I thought, especially in transition, there were some moments when the Celtics just didn't have their heads. Like there was one play. Jason Tatum gets out in transition. Giannis is back at the rim, and there's not enough spacing. Like, Jalen Brown is running just just to Tatum's right, and Grant Williams, I think, was off to the left, and Tatum just went right at Giannis. And then realized, like, oh, shit, this dude's big. I'm not going to be able to get a shot off and just kind of turn around and threw it to no one. And to me, the Celtics – the only reason their defense – or the, the biggest reason that their defense didn't have enough success was just the turnovers. It, like, their own offense was the reason that their defense didn't have a great, great, great performance. Uh, you look at the, I thought
0: they were pretty good in the half court, though. Like, they were incredible.
1: The numbers were crazy. Yeah. The The Bucks scored 73.9 points per 100 possessions in the half court. 73.9. And the, that's
0: a good number for the Celtics. That,
1: that's that's an incredible number, and and you can see how difficult it should be for the Bucks to score in this series. You know, I, I thought Drew Holiday hit a bunch of tough shots. Um,
0: he he just went one on one with like different members of the Celtics. I think like four or five occasions. It was just like, okay, Drew Holiday's deciding to get two points now, in just a way that no one else in the game. Even Giannis, even Jason Tatum just created their own shot one-on-one. But it was just like, all right, Drew Holiday's moments here. And it just happened four to five times. It was kind of incredibly frustrating.
1: Yeah. And I thought, you know, Giannis, obviously the passing really hurt the Celtics, especially in the first half. I thought there were a couple of times when they had like weird double teams on Giannis and Grayson Allen – was just wide open one pass away and he's probably with the exception of Drew Holiday and I mean even beyond Drew Holiday as a just catch and shoot threat like you need to you need to be aware of where Grayson Allen is especially when Chris Middleton is out and the Celtics just left him open a couple times one pass away I th- I thought that was pretty bad in the first half um but the Celtics did a much better job I think the Bucks only hit two threes after halftime and and the Celtics kind of decided okay we're we're gonna make Giannis go one-on-one more often and, and get his own instead and he he did not have an efficient game you know obviously he was he was still able to make a huge impact especially with his passing but if he goes if he takes more field goal attempts and he scores points every game the Celtics should have a very good chance in this series um it was just their offense was despicable. <laughs> it was gross. It was. Transition. It was disgusting. Like their transition offense was so bad. Like they they just did not attack the Bucks well in transition. I thought the Bucks did an awesome, awesome job of getting back, having someone in the paint, and being able to protect the rim even in transition moments. That 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 to me was the difference of the game. The Bucks success in transition versus Boston's inability to to do anything in transition. If you look at the transition numbers, the Celtics just had a honestly a pathetic game in in that regard. And you can see it in how many two-point baskets they made. They only made 10 as a whole. I think five of those were were put back. Like Jalen Brown had a put back dunk. Robert Williams had a couple of put back buckets. Um And and then they still had just 10 two point field goals, which just goes to show you how little they were able to capitalize uh, when the Bucs made a turnover, when the Bucs missed shots like they just weren't able to get out and run and get easy buckets the other way.
0: Yeah, if you look at fast break points, um, Celtics only scored eight and they were three of 10 there's just not a good uh, shooting percentage uh, in transition on fast break and again like I said 14 turnovers for the bucks only 6 points off those turnovers for the Celtics. I think a lot is going to be made about the lack of two point field goals and the Celtics shooting 53s and I I I just know going into the game it really felt like the Celtics are absolutely going to shoot 53s and in the half court I thought I thought the Celtics generated a lot of good looks from three. Then they just didn't necessarily knock them down. But Al Horford took nine threes. He hit four of them. It's a pretty solid percentage, but I feel like all nine of them were pretty good looks. I feel like Marcus Smart, most of his, save for one or two, were pretty good looks from three. Jalen Brown, of those 50, like shooting 18 for 50 is 36%. That's about average. I think in this series if the Celtics are going to be successful they need to shoot over 40% just because that is exactly what the Bucks are going to give them and this is one of the Over 40? For, yeah, if they're going to shoot 50 53s a game they're going to need to make at least 20 of them.
1: I don't know. Or you just have
0: or to- they're going to have to figure out a way to get some two-point shots because in this game in the half court especially whatever they were doing when they would get to the rim was always felt like it was the wrong decision. He was either challenging Brooke Lopez or Giannis or someone like that, or deciding not to challenge them way too late and then throw in a ridiculous pass. There was absolutely nothing in the mid range. And it feels like this is something Ime said after the game, that their rim reads were not good. It just felt like the Celtics, as soon as they like, uh, got past that first defender and started driving, they just didn't know what to do after that. And then you just like kind of was like, oh, oh my God, there's a tall guy there in a way that like just they were not prepared for. And I don't well, know if it's throwing or is, more lobs to Rob Williams or taking more pull up uh mid range shots, but it feels like they need to do something other than just like driving directly into Brooke Lopez.
1: Yeah, sometimes it wasn't like they they thought, oh my God, there's a big man there. Sometimes it was like they just thought nobody was gonna be there. There was one drive Tatum had where Lopez was just kind of in the lane. And Tatum went and challenged him. And Lopez was just kind of like, <laughs> sorry, bro. <laughs> not, not this Lopez time. Lopez didn't even
0: jump. He just put his arms straight up.
1: Yeah. And and like Lopez is up there among the elite rim protectors in the league. He's up there with the Rudy Gobert's, the Joel Embiid's. He is way up there. And he I thought he was had a special special game one. Uh the block of Robert Williams when Robert Williams went up for a dunk, nobody nobody blocks a Robert Williams dunk. But the Celtics challenged him and and like you said, made some bad decisions. I thought I thought like Tatum didn't have a good game, but Jalen's Jalen's game was was very hurtful to the Celtics. Um They started Giannis on him, which was an interesting decision because Giannis almost never guards the other star. He's at his best as a helper. He's not great at getting over screens, mostly because he's a seven-footer. And I thought Jalen got some really good looks early. The Celtics sent him off screens, and he had some really, really open ones early. Missed most of them, and... I don't know whether that contributed to to some of the poor decision-making lately but, or later, but his turnovers really got the bucks going, and I just thought his decision-making especially was pretty poor. There was one possession, I think it was near the end of the second quarter, where he took a shot. Early in the shot clock, it was like sort of a two for one situation, but not like he he could have still had some time to hunt for a better shot. And Al Horford, who never does this, kind of threw up his arms, like, "What the fuck are you doing, man? Like, why are you shooting this shot in transition with a guy in your face?" And and I I thought that kind of symbolized Jalen's night, where where the one guy who does not. <laughs> show up his teammates like that was looking at Jalen like, what are you doing right now?
0: Yeah, it was, it was an extremely tough performance from Jalen. And the one, I guess he made three threes, but I feel like he didn't like really score that many points until the end of the game where it was kind of out of uh, – like once Giannis threw an uh, alley-oop to himself off the backboard, it, that was kind of the nail in the coffin. The Celtics had no chance – to come back from that, I thought it was a pivotal—the really the point where in this game where the Celtics had a chance because it was pretty close. Uh, they were like until, one
1: I run think, away the whole game.
0: And All they, they needed was one stretch
1: where they scored, you know, but they never—it never came.
0: And but the biggest opportunity I thought came um, with three and a half minutes to go in the third quarter. Giannis picks up his fourth foul, just it kind of a, a crazy sequence for Giannis. He gets an and one, misses the free throw, gets a foul called on him for trying to, like, do too much to get the rebound. Then picks up another quick foul, basically just charging at Jason Tatum uh, near half court, which is something that the Bucks, the Bucks were so physical uh, at the top of uh, – or just near half court. I thought they got, oh, like – I don't know if they got away with it, but there was like a lot of uh, bumping that I don't think they called a lot. Like, this is the, like, the The refs let him play. I
1: I respected it.
0: They did, and then until they didn't, and then they called Giannis because he knocked Jason Tatum over. Like, it feels like there's a lot of occasions where they just, like, Giannis was blitzing hard and creating a lot of contact. But then he gets his fourth foul. He comes out of the game. The Celtics are only down six at that point. And it's a huge opportunity to kind of get back in the game, but then you have um, Marcus Smart throws an errant pass to Al Horford, turnover. Drew Holiday makes one of those like kind of solid Drew Holiday mid-range plays. Um, then I think like it was a missed three. Then you had the Grayson Allen like kick out three, which was challenged, was a good job by Ime. Uh, but the Celtics just like could not do anything to take advantage of that uh, opportunity. And so it was one, the Celtics not scoring. And then two, Drew Holiday, I think uh, came back down and hit another one of him, just like driving right into Al Horford's chest. And so in that three and a half minutes with Giannis on the bench, they actually lost, like they went from a six point deficit to an eight point deficit. And um, it just wasn't, wasn't great basketball and was not taking advantage of the moment. Like you're right, they they had all these opportunities throughout the third quarter to just get back into the game because their their defense, especially in the half court, was doing so well. But they couldn't get two two or three consecutive possessions with the bucket. As that just wasn't happening in that game.
1: Yeah, and and when Giannis is out, this Bucks team should be pretty susceptible. Like without Chris Middleton. They are very small when Giannis is out. And and I know Brooke Lopez is great near the rim. But when you've got, you know, Javon Carter, great defender, but a short defender. <laughs> you know, Pat Connaughton, tough dude, good athlete, but not, again, like a, a big, strong wing defender. Bobby Portis. Very susceptible to on the perimeter. Like the Celtics emailed Doka before the game, said, we have some matchups we like in this series. And the Celtics just never got to them. They were never able to get out of the pressure. I thought the pressure took them you know, deeper into the shot clock with their sets. It took them totally out of what they wanted to run. Um, and as good as Brooke Lopez was, I felt like the guard defense with Drew Holiday, with Carter, with even Grayson Allen at times, Connaughton, it was the Celtics. That was what really got the Celtics out of their normal game, forced them into some bad decisions, got them kind of out of character. And I thought in that way, you know, like the Nets was just an easy series. (laughs) It was just you knew who to pick on they they weren't connected beh- behind that problem. They had Andre Drummond at the rim, who's trash compared to Brooke Lopez, and and then the difference between them and championship level defense in Milwaukee is startling. And, and I thought the the Celtics seemed startled. They they were not prepared. To handle that level of physicality and and that that three thirty seven when Giannis was was on the bench, they hit one shot. They hit one shot during that three thirty seven, and it was a play where Tatum hit Horford, who hit Derek White in the corner for three. It was that was a great offensive play, but other than that, that was it. That, that was basically the only offense they got. And and they need to do just a much much better job offensively, shooting thirty three point three percent. That was their worst offensive performance since October twenty second, which is the f- the f- second game of the regular season, which was the game we realized that Ime Udoka will light up motherfuckers when he's not happy, and <laughs> uh, like that's how long ago it was the first game that forced Ime Odoka to just rip people apart. The very first game. (laughs) Think of how many times he did it. (laughs) And this was the first time. So it was a long time ago that the Celtics had a worse offensive performance. The last few months, I feel like they've just been rolling. And the Bucs took away all their comfort. And the, the Celtics just have to do a much better job of handling all that moving forward.
0: Yeah, the, in the fourth quarter there, it was an interesting lineup uh, that e used to start the fourth. He Tatum on the bench, he went with um, Peyton Pritchard, Derek White, Grant, Rob Williams, and Jalen Brown. And Peyton Pritchard missed four yeah. three-point shots, three of them which were pretty wide open. They like, were I They actually ass generated naked. some good looks. And that's when the lead went from eight to fifteen. And once it got to fifteen, it's just like with the way the Celtics' offense was not scoring, it felt like the game was uh, out of reach at that point. But Peyton Pritchard, who's been pretty money uh, throughout this like kind of run, and it, it, he was great against the Nets. He missed three wide open threes that really would have cut the cut the Bucks' lead and got the Celtics back in the game, but when that when that first lineup got out there, I, I guess through the process, like they got some open shots for Pritchard, but I was kind of surprised to see Tatum go to the bench at all in the fourth quarter, just when the Celtics offense was struggling so hard.
1: yeah, yeah, um and and Pritchard, to his credit, like those are the shots he's hit since the trade deadline. like he's hit a lot of big shots. In big moments, the the net series game two when the Celtics are flying back, he's he's one of the guys who who really just dis- destroyed the nets late in that game. Uh, so those are the looks that he has made continuously. And so I'm not going to sit here and say he shouldn't have taken those when three out of the four were just wide open, like. Peyton Pritchard has to shoot those. They will normally go in. But the Bucks, like, they they kinda let him walk into those three point looks. Uh and and that that was when things went wrong. Um uh, yeah, the, the Tatum thing, I think he was at thirty two minutes after the third quarter. And he like it was a hard thirty-two minutes. He was needing to deal with physicality, full court. It's just game one. So I, I get why uh they they sat him for a little while, but but things did get ugly when uh when the Celtics didn't have all their ball handlers out there. And I thought, you know, Derek White, he I think he needs to be better for them. He just if the Bucks are going to pressure full court the way they did, uh, then and Marcus Smart is obviously banged up right now. We we can talk about that. We should talk about that. But but Derek White just needs to be a little better for them. He, he I mean he ended up with ten points, but
0: uh, knocked down his shots, which you were skeptical of uh he did his job in that department but you're right he just like didn't come in and didn't steady anything and yeah. actually had some early turnovers and like it feels like they need they need him to also knock down threes but they like given their lack of ball handling on the uh roster he it, needs to be like a steady person they can rely on
1: yeah and i i feel like he should have some matchups where his size and physicality can be a win for the Celtics um, and I thought and he got he actually got some good looks but j- just missed a couple easy ones in the first half maybe I'm not giving him enough credit uh, maybe it was yeah. he
0: got some good floaters he was actually probably the best uh, just thinking back of like opportunities towards the rim he has like kind of that floater game that not a lot of the other Celtics have and I feel like he had some good looks on it and just missed them.
1: yeah and I feel it, it's weird because I didn't think he played well but I think the Celtics might want to use him more in this series if the Bucs are going to play with as much physicality, as much full-court pressure as they did. Uh, I, just, I just feel like having another ball handler, having another good decision-maker, having that that dude who can just kind of play through contact most of the time, although he wasn't great at it in, in game one, it's, it's like totally counterintuitive because I didn't think he played well, but I I think he can be very useful in this series. Um, And, and one thing Emi Odoka said when white came over from San Antonio is that he's very good against drop coverage. And obviously, you know, with Brooke Lopez, the, the Bucks are going to play some some drop coverage, and this might be a Derek White series. I am not entirely comfortable at all predicting that <laughs> because <laughs> because he hasn't been great so far in the playoffs, and and again, like I did not think Game One was a shining moment for him, but but I I feel like maybe he's like this is set up for him. To be pretty important moving forward, Marcus Smart, especially if Marcus Smart is hurting a lot, uh, because he went through it. <laughs>
0: that, that, he went through it all.
1: That dude went through it in game one. Um, uh, he had like his arm six fell injuries. off. He basically yeah.
0: went back to the locker room with his arm dangling, uh, like it had no longer worked. That was just a stinger. Apparently, that's the lesser of the two injuries that he's suffered because he also had a bruised quad, Uh, especially late in the game. He was trying to do everything Marcus smart does like draw some charges. Some of them were not called. Um, I know there's probably some Celtics fans screaming at the, at their app right now saying um, you got to talk about Scott Foster. Uh, I didn't think it was atrocious other than uh, the goaltending and that one Al Horford screen, uh, moving screen in the backcourt, I thought was pretty pretty bad. I thought the Tice um, one was pretty iffy too. I don't even remember which one that was, but sure, yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous that the league like that. I could Google Scott Foster, Tim Donaghy, and immediately a petition shows up that says uh, with like fifteen thousand signatures is get Scott Foster out of the NBA. Um, just a ridiculous human being who almost redeemed himself uh, by not knowing who Jack Harlow was. I thought that was a fun Scott Foster moment, which was not something I was prepared to say.
1: Salute to the next Bo- Billy Hoyle. I love. <laughs> I know a lot of people don't love that they're coming out with a new White Men Can't Jump starring Jack Harlow, but
0: oh, are they actually I- doing that? I thought you were just
1: saying that. Oh no, no, he is. He is the next Billy Hoyle. He is actually starring as Billy Hoyle in the White Men Can't Jump uh remake. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh they might screw it up. It could be really bad, but there's also a chance it's not. And either way, it'll give me two hours of mindless movie watching. So
0: Who who's the next Sidney Dean?
1: That's a good question. I I'm not sure. Um
0: I, and I hope Rosie Perez is still in it and also plays Billy Hoyle's uh, girlfriend still. I think that would be good. Um, <laughs> well, Mark is smart. <laughs> yeah, Mark, he
1: just he just went through he was a hobbling. lot. Man.
0: He was He was looked in a lot of pain, especially towards the end of the game. Um, I don't know if that was affecting his... Uh, Shot-making, he was one of six from three. I thought he kind of forced the issue sometimes. But oddly enough, it feels like, actually, before, I was about to say like he's one of their better finishers around the rim just because he so often pulls off some nonsense like after getting body contact. But as soon as I said that, really the best finisher around the rim or someone who can finish through contact, I feel like it's been Jalen Brown. And he just did not see that. Uh, especially playing strong uh, down the stretch there. And so if Marcus Smart is hurt, you're going to, like you said, you're going to need a better performance from Derek White. You're just going to need a lot better performance from Jalen Brown, but it feels like a lot, like no one, not one person on the Celtics had a good offensive performance in this game.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, (laughs) not at all. Uh, And there was a moment – in the third quarter, I think, when the Celtics went down 12, and Jason Tatum hit a big three, and then he hit another three, and I, I thought maybe maybe he was getting into a rhythm and, and they would rattle off a, a big run. And it just never happened. They, they weren't able to get nearly enough in transition or at the rim and, and the, the turnovers are just so costly, like just so costly. You look, you look at, so their bench had one two point make combined. And that was Daniel Tice. I forget what two point make he even had. Um
0: well let's give Malik Fitz his credit for his making crunch time. He had a pretty explosive dunk.
1: Yeah, but I I'm the, their actual bench, not not the the, <laughs> I the, know, the, I the I deep want bench. To give, um I just wanna
0: give Malik Fitz the credit where credit is due.
1: And then like Jason Tatum just just two makes inside the arc. Al Horford, zero. Robert Williams three. He I thought he was good, by the way. Um that was
0: Robert Williams? Yeah,
1: that was one of the pluses for the Celtics was that he looked way better than he did at any point in the last two games of the net series.
0: That's something I wanted to ask you about because he only played 22 and a half minutes in this game. Grant Williams played like 29 minutes. It felt like the Celtics, knowing that they were struggling to create offense and um, wanting more shooting out there, went with a kind of those smaller lineups, went away from two big lineups just to kind of get more three point shooters out there. I don't remember seeing a lot of lineups where it's just uh, Robert Williams as the kind of the sole center, but it doesn't feel like they were as good as their kind of the starting five has been. It didn't feel like they were comfortable with the spacing that kind of occurs when you have both Horford and Robert Williams on the floor. But I feel like Robert, provide so much vertical spacing and the lob threat and just like I thought we would have saw more of just kind of if Brooke Lopez is really going to be that sturdy at the rim just like throwing it up to Rob and seeing what happens and I think we only got two lob attempts in this game why like what is the reasoning behind Time Lord only playing 22 minutes when he can be such a dynamic threat especially on the offensive end
1: well I think part of it is that you just want Al Horford on the court as much as possible against Giannis. Right? And, and if Horford is in there, obviously the only way to play Robert Williams is to play both those guys together. And I think when when the Bucks have Bobby Portis and Giannis and Brooke Lopez all on the court that you know they they kind of want to stretch out those guys. And, and make them cover the arc and make them guard in space. And and I, I I do think that maybe they should have stuck with the two big lineup more. And and to me, the the way you get Robert Williams more minutes is just don't go to Daniel Tice. You know, like wave yeah, off. Yeah, that
0: was odd. I did not expect to see Tice there in the first half.
1: Yeah, wave off the stint that that he played. And 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 maybe part of it is still just limiting Robert Williams's minutes early in a series after he came back from the knee injury. But they said he had no limitations before the game. Uh I I expect later in this series that that Tice probably won't get the the few minutes that he did. It wasn't like he played a lot. Um but the four minutes and twenty six seconds that he did play, it's easy to just hand that over to Robert Williams and then then he would have played 27 minutes, and I think that's a pretty normal number for him. I, I think the other thing is um like he, he was not great when switched onto Giannis, I felt like. Um Giannis
0: was was targeting him. Giannis was calling for the switch yeah. and trying to go at Robert Williams, which was not something I was Prepared for? I thought I saw a stat that Giannis was zero for five when shooting against Robert Williams, but no, yeah, Giannis was going right at him. I thought there was one or two possessions where Rob got beat, but then did a like just because he's Robert Williams and is super athletic, like did enough to get back into the play and affect the shot. But he did not create. Like Giannis was able easily able to get around him multiple times. It was just not a most efficient game from Giannis, where he missed a lot of kind of layups or things around the rim where you, you normally makes them.
1: He's just a relentless dude, isn't he? <laughs> yeah,
0: he just keeps coming no matter he, what.
1: It doesn't matter how many times he fails. doesn't matter how many layups he misses. Like, he's just coming right at you the next possession, just trying to pulverize you. It's It's really impressive to watch and just to understand the type of shape that he has to be in to to do that constantly to go at guys and and dr- drive through guys and drive around guys and and run out in transition and then get back and protect the rim in transition <laughs> and and then bang with the biggest guy on the other team because obviously the other team wants to do whatever they can to sell them sell out to stop him near the rim it's it's just incredible to watch that guy. Uh, there's just a, a a persistence to his game that nobody else can match. Uh, just because he's so big and so powerful and so indomitable, so he's a bear. He's a bear, and and so, there's so much on him in this series to to get all the other guys going, the the Grayson Allen's, the Conatons, the the Bobby Portises. And I felt like even though he didn't have his most efficient game individually, he helped all those guys get going. You you know, Grayson Allen eleven points off the bench. Um three for six. Bobby Portis, six for twelve and so all, all those guys were able to have efficient nights. I, I thought a lot of that was because Giannis just kept putting so much pressure on the Celtics.
2: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right courtside seats to an NBA game and more head over to Michelob slash courtside to learn more.
0: and that's the reason why you need Horford and i think to a lesser extent Grant Williams in the game and something that Robert Williams just can't do as good as like as he is athletically but you just they you need to put a body on him and build that wall and it feels like Horford and Grant i got like give Grant some credit like are just much better at being physical creating some contact at the point of attack whereas Giannis can go right around um, Robert Williams. And anytime there's a switch onto anyone else, like Jalen had some moments where just because of switches, he was forced to pick up Giannis. I he just don't think he was very good at there. Marcus Smart, as physical as he is, he's just giving up so much. And so it's an interesting challenge for the Celtics to figure out, okay, if we're going to have Grant Williams or Al Horford on the court, no matter what, when Giannis is on the court, how do we also get um, Robert Williams out there? How do we get him involved and in how we kind of get consistent offense? I think the, they they did it a couple times with Tatum just doing the pull-up three when Brook Lopez is in a drop. Um, I think they need to kind of try and pull out the guys like Brooke Lopez or Bobby Portis, uh, Out more towards the three point line and kind of get them moving in space more, but I also feel like they just probably need to take like more mid range jumpers. Like Jalen and Jason Tatum have the skills, and I would say to uh, Derek White to just knock down mid range jumpers. And so I feel like they're like if there's one adjustment,
1: they did not have one mid range make in that game, not one.
0: I don't even know how many mid range takes they had in that game. If you look at the shot charts, it's like mostly it's like an analytics darling. It's all at the rim and all three point lines, but they didn't attempt any mid range jumpers. I feel like Jalen had a couple just ridiculous kind of fadeaway type things. And, but that was not, not part of their game. And I know that's the shot that uh, Milwaukee wants you to take, but you knock down like one or two of those. And even if it's just a step towards that direction from Brooke Lopez or something else, I think it just opens up things at the rim the the bucks were really able to hang back and not and basically just put their hands up and wait for it and i think the celtics they just need to trust their shot makers in that situation to um you know just to knock those down which i think they're they're capable of obviously it's not something you want to like do a lot of but to do absolutely none of it feels like it's a the bucks are winning in that regard
1: yeah and i felt i feel like Tatum just has to be better too uh like they were really aggressive Dealing with him, they like when the Celtics brought Bobby Portis in, into an action. He was really, really up on the level of the ball, being really aggressive with his defense. Uh, I just thought Tatum never really kind of figured out what they were doing with him, and 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 maybe some of it is is trying to get him, you know, up up higher, maybe into some pick and roll actions drag brook lopez into it but but the bucks are, are really good at at getting away with having some slower footed defenders on the perimeter um like the the way that they use bobby portis to kind of muck things up and and stay away from switches with him and and keep him out of situations where where he'll be you know in rough shape is just pretty impressive uh so so they do a really good job at kind of hiding their weaknesses in that way. And then, you know, when, when Lopez is back and when Giannis is back, those guys can just wipe away a lot of mistakes by other guys too. Uh but but Tatum just has to kind of figure figure it out in this series. He has to figure out not not so much like it wasn't the points or the six for eighteen shooting I thought that was was disappointing. It was it was more like compared to Giannis and just the constant pressure he put on the Celtics, Tatum wasn't able to do remotely similar to that, to the Bucs. Like he this was after he really picked apart the Nets in the first round, he just wasn't able to to find that level of um like just that ability to break down the the Bucks defense, and so so he needs to do more to solve it. Um, and it it wasn't all his fault at all. Like this is a totally different challenge. It's going to be, you know, a a lot is going to be on the Al Horford and and Marcus Smart and those guys to hit open looks when he finds them. But I I just felt like like he did not do enough to to dent the Bucks' defense to make things easier for everybody else.
0: Yeah, and I think it's very cliche. It also comes down to Celtics just need to make more shots. And I think, like, our uh, Forsberg just tweeted this out. Of the 53s that the Celtics took, 45 of them were apparently open. And um, according to the NBA tracking data, uh, Celtics only made 16 of them. Like, I think they... With all this being said about the struggles on offense, Tatum not being dominant. The
1: tracking now. data is, sucks, by the way. Everybody but everybody, everybody you, tweets that just, out. It's horrible. It's, it's so bad. It's so unreliable.
0: The eye test alone, the Celtics had a lot of open threes. And I do think they're going, if they want success in this series, they're going to be need to be damn near 40% uh, on those threes just because the Bucks are giving you those shots. And those shots are worth three points, which is more than the average two points uh, that you normally get. And so I just think, like, it's it, There's a lot of like different things the Celtics can do strategically. Of course, they can get um, better looks, not turn the ball over, score more in transition. But like, I think the Celtics' success in the series is is just going to come down to can they make a decent amount of those open threes? Because it just really changes. Like I thought, they did an okay job in this game, but you know what would have been better three or four more makes from three. Like really, yeah, would, like they, put they, them in the game and like allow them to go on a scoring run.
1: They didn't quite hit enough to like force Milwaukee to react. You know,
0: yeah, like, and uh, they have to do something for like and force the Bucks to maybe consider changing the game plan because like the Bucks are obviously going to give up all those threes, but if the Celtics come out and make a bunch of them. Then maybe the uh, like you're just taking more steps and it, you you shift the defense a little bit. In game one, the Bucks were one very okay to let them take those threes, and the Celtics didn't punish them and they, they just kind of let the uh, Bucks dominate around the rim.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it was <laughs> some of the some of the two point numbers were ten for thirty four. They were from two point range. That seems impossible. That was like like me versus you one on one in <laughs> in the twenty mile an hour wind out out in the north end. Uh, Tatum was two for nine inside the arc, two for nine, and and the, this like Eme e- e- said he's going to try to figure out some new ways to to involve those guys that they don't necessarily have to deal with the pesky defenders in their chest, you know, 40 feet away from the basket. He brought up post-ups. He brought up using other guys as initiators. That's one of the reasons why I think Derek White could be pretty useful in this series. Um, but some of it is just you got to be able to deal with the physicality. If Wes Matthews is in your chest, like, you're Jason Tatum, he's fucking Wes Matthews, you know. <laughs> just 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 beat him and And then make a good decision from there. That's kind of when a team is is full court pressing, sometimes you just gotta gotta beat them and, and then just make a good decision. And the Celtics, even when they beat the guys, just did not make good decisions from there. They, they forced a lot, they it was it, it was just an ugly, ugly performance from their offense. It was bad. The Bucks really, really took them out of everything that they wanted to do.
0: All right, two final observations from me from this game. um Robert Williams did get kicked in the penis uh that was and a, I, got that to- was
1: a funny moment. I mean you felt for the guy, but he also he he was laughing as he <laughs> jogged off to the locker room like just, just, only Robert Williams would be in that much pain and just kind of chuckling like, damn. I got hit in my nuts. That's kind of funny.
0: I thought the best part of that was our man Wash tweeting out, Robert Williams going back to the bench, holding the wood. (laughs) Clearly in a lot of pain. We know where he got picked. The phrase holding the wood from from the Boston Globe reporter Gary Washburn was fantastic. It made me laugh out loud.
1: Yeah, you – that that was special, just a special tweet from our guy Wash. What? And <laughs> and finally, like
0: as a Celtics fan, it wasn't a fun uh, afternoon for me to be in the TD Garden, but I think to make matters worse, like the just just made it a, just a truly awful afternoon as so we were subjected to another trite stale boring uncreative unoriginal performance from Red Panda at halftime it's I, I like, wasn't I
1: wasn't watching cuz I was doing some work did she uh did she nail Oh she got the on a fa- unicycle the final and bowls? she
0: flipped bowl. Bull- she flipped bowls under her head it, uh, she got on a unicycle and she flipped bowls. Did, did she did she hit the last one though she did uh she did hit the last one people were celebrating but you know what I've seen it. I saw hey. her do that in 2009
1: I'm I'm not going to knock her when she when she performs. If, I am. If it's she,
0: the same performance. Change the song, change the tricks, do something different, Red Panda. This is ridiculous.
1: No, she she she's got her act and and as long as she can nail it, then I'll give her all the respect in the world. It's it's when she falls shy. It's when she can't pull off her only trick. That that I come come to come out and 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 let her have it a little bit, but but when she when, I guess
0: I guess I just expect more from my halftime performers.
1: I mean, she was she had a perfect night from what you're saying, perfect afternoon.
0: She had a perfect afternoon if it was 2010 and no one had seen this trick before. But guy, what what have you been doing? You had a whole pandemic to come up with a new trick, Red Panda. What's going on here? There's got to be other things you can do with your specific set of unicycle skills. Maybe flip something else. Maybe it's like different than bulls. Maybe get a friend in there. Flip uh, bulls onto their head. I mean, this is, this is ridiculous.
1: <laughs> uh... Oh, that
0: reminded me of another thing. They brought back tic-tac-toe. Uh, did you you probably were like looking at stats, being a nerd during this segment? Did you did you happen to see what happened during tic tac toe?
1: I definitely uh, did not. Board?
0: Two men basically got into a, a wrestling match over the final square, and it was awesome. It was electric. Normally, the the idiots out there forget the rules of tic tac toe and just don't place the squares in the last place. But it came down to one final square, and these two men both threw their square onto it. It was unclear who won, and then they just wrestled and got in a, basically a fight until one man bodied the other man, took his X and slammed it down and won. And it was um, it was fantastic. It was um, all for fan on fan violence during uh, timeouts of the game. Team sanctioned fan on fan violence, and I think it needs to happen more.
1: This is the the great talk, great Celtics talk here. <laughs>
0: Any other observations from game one before we uh, close this thing out?
1: Uh,
0: Marcus Harris, uh Marcus Smart's hair was green. Uh, that's that's the only other thing I got.
1: All I could think about him was just just Billy Madison when the guy was like, "Miss Lippy's car <laughs> is green." <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> the, every single time I looked out there on the court and saw Marcus Smart's green hair. Just thought about Miss Lippy eating her glue and and doing her thing.
0: (laughs) Billy likes soda. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Clearly, it was gone off the rails. Jay King is quoting Billy Madison potable.
2: Yeah, obviously.
0: Anything is potable!